0: And as we get into the Word today, uh, we've been taking some time this fall to unpack our vision for Meadowbrook Church. And so um, I didn't time this the best. I actually just counted the Sundays wrong when I was figuring out the preaching this fall. Ideally, I would have wrapped this up before uh, Thanksgiving. But uh, we had Eric Rose in there for Mission Sunday, which was awesome. Uh, And then we had Thanksgiving last week. And so we're just kind of tagging on the last message of our little mini-series here. And we've been unpacking our vision statement, which is upward, inward, outward helping people take their next steps with Jesus. And uh, as a leadership, as we've been kind of clarifying that vision, we actually don't think it's a a radical new vision in any way, Uh, just giving some wording to it and clarifying the types of things that we've already been seeing God doing in our midst. And so we are helping people take their next steps with Jesus. Ultimately, uh, you need to step up into your own walk with God. We can't do that for you, but we are here to help. And so we all have our journey with Jesus, and we do that both individually, but we also do do that as a community and so you're responsible for the individual part we are here to help with the community part because we can't walk with Jesus by ourselves and so whatever your next steps are with Jesus, Meadowbrook is here to help you and your family in that journey and we're focusing on that primarily in these three ways, upward, inward and outward, so we are wanting to grow into maturity upwardly which is in our relationship with Jesus as we draw closer to him, as we dig into his word, as we spend time in his presence, as we focus on our walk with him and our relationship with him, we also want to be growing inwardly where scripture says on our spiritual journey, we are being transformed into people who look more and more like Jesus. And so inwardly, we are working on that transformational piece. that as we draw near to him, as we dig into his word, as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are being changed. Ultimately, we are becoming more and more like Christ. And we also don't want to stop there. We want to be focusing outwardly as well, because we are called to love people. We are called to share the gospel. We are called to serve one another. We are called to look outward in lots of different ways. And so we, we see these three things as kind of like three uh, legs on a stool. That they are all needed and they are all connected and they all work together. As we draw closer to the Lord, He does His work inwardly in us. That should motivate us to greater love for others, which as we love others well, that also draws us closer to the Lord. And as we love others well, we are also changed by others. So these are all interconnected together. And we want to be focusing on so, where are we going next then in these areas? What's next in my walk with Jesus? What's next in my journey of transformation? What's next? In how I am loving others and engaging in the world around me. And so we don't have to have the whole picture figured out. That can be overwhelming. Our goal is to be like Jesus, to be perfect ultimately. And if I were just to say, go out this week and be perfect, guys, that would be a lot to swallow. But what we're focusing on instead is what is your next step? Towards perfection. You don't have to have the whole picture figured out. You don't have to know where you're going to be five years from now. You just need to know where are my next steps? What am I doing next? What's right in front of me that the Lord is leading me into? And so today we're focusing on the outward piece where we go out and it's easy to to skip past this piece because especially in church life we focus a lot on the upward piece where we're talking about Jesus and we're into the scripture and we're in bible studies and we're in prayer and we're focusing on our relationship with him and our journey with him and learning more about him the upward piece comes pretty naturally to churches the inward piece maybe isn't quite as natural but we all know that we should be working on ourselves and that there's sin in our life that needs to go and that there's ways that our minds need to be renewed and so that tends to happen somewhat in church life naturally as well. And then the outward piece comes along, and there's parts of the outward piece that can be easy, and then there's parts that can be more tricky. And so ultimately, every single church is on a similar mission, which is that the whole world needs to hear about Jesus. Right, that's the mission that the, the big capital C church is on, and there's, it looks lots of different ways, and there's a lot of different moving pieces to that, but ultimately, it's that we have been given a gift by Jesus, and we have to share that with the world, and with that comes uh, a lot of calls in Scripture to love one another, to take care of one another, to serve one another, to encourage one another, to, to walk with one another, to keep one another accountable, and all of these different things. And so the outward piece comes into play as we're thinking about what does it look like as we engage with one another here? What does it look like as we engage with the world around us so that it doesn't just become about me and my own walk with Jesus? It's, it's not ultimately actually about me. Jesus would make pretty clear that his whole life was about giving glory to God and obeying God and then loving and serving others. So Jesus didn't really make it about himself at all. He didn't make it about his own needs at all. He didn't make it about what was best for him at all. Jesus didn't come around demanding, where am I being served? Jesus said, I came to serve. I came to wash feet. I came ultimately to lay my life down at the cross. And so it is not ultimately about me at all as an individual. It's about how am I serving the Lord and how am I serving others? That's my job. Now, when we all do that, then everybody gets served. Everybody's needs get met. Everybody blesses one another. I come to serve you. You come to serve me. It goes around and round, and we all take care of one another. It has been said that life would be great if it wasn't for all the people. And I've heard that said about the church as well, right? Church would be great if it wasn't for the people. And usually someone says that to me when they're frustrated with somebody or they're having a fight with somebody or whatever. And yet, it cannot be denied that from the very, very beginning, God creates Adam, the first man. And the first thing he says when he looks at Adam is is it's not good for man to be alone. We are not meant to live this life alone. We are meant to live this life with other people. And whenever we're with other people, whether it's a a marriage relationship or a family relationship or a workplace or even a church, there's going to be challenges to that. There's going to be frustrations to that at times. There's going to be difficulties that come up. And yet we can't escape the fact that we were designed to do this with others. Life cannot be lived alone. We were meant to do this in community. And whenever we're in community, we're going to have to learn how to get along with others, how to encourage others, how to be a blessing to others, how to receive from others. Like there's a cost to community, whatever the relationship is. Whenever I'm counseling a couple who is about to get married, we spend time talking about the price of marriage. And I don't mean the weddings, which are incredibly ridiculously stupidly expensive. I mean, there is a cost when you join your life to another person and say, we're going to do this together. a cost to self that has to happen in there. That's just the way of it. And that's true of any friendship. That is true for parents and their children. That's true in your workplace. And certainly that is true in a church community. But it is very telling to me um, when, when our kids are born that we have to teach them all these things. It's not really natural to us. No baby comes out of the womb saying, it's not about me, Mom. It's all about you, right? <laughs> it's it's the exact right? The baby, it's all about themselves. The baby's not saying, yeah, I'm hungry, but you know what? Mom had a rough night last night, so I'm just going to stay quiet, and I'm just going to deal with it on my own. Like, we come out very self-involved. It's part of the, the brokenness, I think, of, of our, our human nature. And we actually have to teach our children not to be selfish. We have to teach. Our children to share. We have to teach them to say, I'm sorry. We have to teach them at times to get along. And then and, and they learn eventually, obviously, and they begin to grow into that. But part of this journey we are on is that if we're going to follow through the example of Jesus, Jesus lived his life saying, Father, it's all about you, and it's all about the people that you've called me to serve. That's what drove his life. And so if we are going to be people who follow in the way of Jesus, that needs to drive our life as well. Or we say, it's not about me, it's not about what I get out of this, it's not about my my preferences or what I think is best, it's about you, Father, and it's about the people around me, the community that you've placed me in, that you've called me to serve. And again, when we all take on that posture, then the good news is I give my life to bless and serve you, and some of you give your life to bless and serve me and the others around you, and then everybody gets taken care of. Everybody gets encouraged. Everybody gets met where they're at when we do that for one another. And so I say this sometimes when I'm meeting people who are newer to the church, and I don't think they always believe me, but it's very true, where I say, you know, I'm lead pastor here. Arguably, there's no one here who has more influence than the lead pastor, not because it's Chris, but just because of the role that it is. And I don't get my way... Plenty of times in the church. There's, there's regularly times where I'll say, hey, I think we should do this. And the staff team says, no, we don't actually think that that's right. And, and we pray and we talk about it and we work through it. And then we might not go that way. So, there's nobody here for whom it's this is always going to be exactly what I want or exactly everything that I, I desire or my personal preferences. That's part of the cost of being in community. But part of growing outwardly is learning to be at peace with that. So, let's take a look at our text today as we jump in. We're in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 43. Just a few verses today. Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Who loves that last verse? (laughs) No big deal. Just be perfect. So it has been said that this little section of the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount is is kind of a a collaboration of some of Jesus' main moral teachings. They all get kind of combined together in this one sermon that he preached. And, and it's often, uh, for Anabaptists, for Mennonites, certainly they would come back to it over and over and over again of this is just a key moral code that should be driving our lives as followers of Jesus. And when Jesus talks about loving your enemies, it has been said that this is one of the key things that distinguishes the moral teachings of Jesus versus any other religious leader or any other moral teacher that has ever been. Because a lot of religions and a lot of moral teachers and a lot of philosophers will talk about love and loving sacrificially and loving generously and loving other people and putting others before themselves. But almost none of them get to the point of love your enemy. That's something that's actually very unique to Jesus, and, and as Jesus would make clear, loving your loved ones is great, but everybody does that, right? That's, that's kind of a given. Loving those who love you, that's, that's natural, but to go even further than that, to love even your enemies, and the reason we're talking about it as it relates to the outward piece today is because outwardness is always driven by love. It's driven by love. And if Jesus says, yes, love your neighbor, and yes, love your enemy, obviously that means basically love everybody, right? Your neighbor, your enemy, and everybody in between. Your life is to be driven by love. And again, that's what Jesus' life was driven by. Love and obedience to the Father, and then love and care and concern for the people that God had called him to. So anything outward focused is going to be driven by that love. So starts off verse 43, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is a bit of a formula that Jesus has been doing throughout the Sermon on the Mount as he's unpacking some of his teachings. So he says, you've heard that it was said, uh, do not kill, but I tell you, Do not even hate your neighbor. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, don't even lust in your heart. And so he's setting it up to say, here's what the law says, or here's what the Old Testament says, and yet I'm actually going to unpack that even further for you and take it even deeper. So you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The Old Testament verse that he's referring to is Leviticus 19, 18, part of the law, Which says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone amongst your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So the law said, love your neighbor. There's nowhere clearly in the Old Testament that says, hate your enemy. There's no passage that says that specifically. And yet throughout the Old Testament there are certainly times where uh, where Israel goes to war against an enemy or, or one of the kings is dealing with an enemy in a different way so even if there's not a specific verse that says "hate your enemy," there are certainly times where Israel is less than loving towards the enemies around them and and at times uh, God will direct Israel to take action against a nation at times uh, I think probably it's just the human nature the sin nature that's showing up in some of the kings and the power struggles that are going on so there's not a clear verse in the Old Testament that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy, and yet at the same time, when you look at the big picture, that is certainly uh, something that Israel lived out. So they knew from God's law they had to love their neighbor. There were times where they would attack or harm or kill their enemies, and so Jesus is referring to this. He's saying there's this picture in Scripture here that you love your neighbor and you hate your enemy. But Jesus takes it further than that in verse 44 and 45. So that's what you have seen But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And so Jesus doesn't let us off the hook of saying, like, hey, just be a a good parent, and be a good friend, and be a good spouse, and be a good Christian church member, and love those people. He says, we're going way further than that. Love your enemies. Now, some of you are sitting here going, I don't have any enemies. I'm just so likable. And everyone just loves me so much that I just, I've never really had that problem. And I go, oh, you cocky little thing, you. (laughs) And the word enemies is a strong one, right? And so, so what happens is people say, like, no, like, I, I don't want to kill anybody. I don't want to harm anybody. I don't wish harm on anybody. And they're like, well, if that's the measure of an enemy, then, yeah, maybe you don't have that specific thing. But I promise you, if you are breathing, you have enemies in your life. And it doesn't have to be just the person you want revenge on or the person that you, you, you know, would want to punch in the face or whatever, Like, your enemy can be, it can be as simple as the person that you're not reconciled to, the person that you don't talk to anymore, or the person that you avoid, or the person that you find out, oh, they're going to be at the event. (laughs) Does that hit a little closer to home than, (laughs) than wanting to murder somebody? I'll put it this way. Our enemies are the ones that we're not reconciled with. Our enemies are the ones we are not in good, loving relationship with. And that can take a broad spectrum of how that looks and how intense that gets. But I promise you, if you are living, you have enemies. You have people that you are not walking in good, strong, loving, reconciled relationship with. And sometimes there may be a really good reason where where just for safety reasons you've pulled away from somebody and that can be okay. But... Jesus, you know, doesn't really leave us the option of just kind of, well, I can cut someone off and just never speak to them again and, and never, ever uh, engage in, in this way. When he says, love your enemies, uh, that's a, an action word, right? We are are moving towards... A loving, reconciled relationship. We're moving towards unity again, and so yeah. From the standpoint of, there's no one I want to punch in the face. Maybe I don't have those enemies, but I have certainly been hurt by people in my life. I certainly have some people I keep a distance from. Uh, I certainly have people that I have hurt in return, and, and the relationship is awkward or whatever the case may be. So that's all encompassing in this. And so don't uh, don't let yourself off the hook just because you don't want to hit somebody. Um, think about in your own life, what, who is this that I'm talking about? Who, who fits into this category? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So even those who are actively out to get you, pray for those ones as well. And Jesus is, again, he's unpacking further than what the law had said. So the law said, love your neighbor. Um, the, the example of Israel in the Old Testament was, you know, sometimes you harm and hurt your enemy. But Jesus says, but I tell you this, and he's actually teaching something different then than what Israel had experienced. So is Jesus contradicting the Old Testament? I mean, it, it does seem that way, but it's really, I think, a little simpler than that, that as Jesus comes to teach, he is ultimately the lawgiver, right? He is the one. We believe he is God in the flesh, So he is the same God who birthed the law and the same God who led Israel in the Old Testament. He's now come in the flesh. And Jesus said, I'm not coming to get rid of what was before, but I am coming to complete it. I'm coming to fulfill it. And so when Jesus comes as the lawgiver in the flesh, the lawgiver has the right to clarify what the law means, right? The lawgiver, the judge has the right to say this is what... I was getting at. This is what I was getting towards. So, there was a a controversy in Jesus' time over divorce, where there's a verse in the law that doesn't explain context really at all, and it just says that if a husband wants to divorce his wife, then he has to give her a certificate of, of divorce and then send her away. And there was nothing really in there about under what circumstances or what was okay. So in Jesus' day, there were two schools of thought in the Jewish world. And there were some who took it very literally and said, well, there's no guidelines on it. Therefore, you can divorce your wife for any reason at all. If you don't like her cooking, you can just sign a certificate of divorce and send her away. And then there was another school that had arisen that said, no, unless there's adultery, unless there's an affair, unless the marriage vow is broken at that level... Uh, then there's no reason for divorce and so that that was kind of being debated at jesus time and and he would get asked questions at times trying to figure out where does jesus land on some of these controversial issues and so when jesus comes and and they say hey the law says divorce is okay um, and some believe that that means under any circumstance and you can get divorced no matter what jesus says yes that's what it says But that was an accommodation given to you because of your sinfulness, right? Because of our broken, sinful ways, God has made an accommodation there. But then Jesus says, but when we look at what God has created from the beginning, God's intention from the beginning was one man and one woman married together for life. That was the intention. That was the plan. So in our sinfulness, that doesn't always happen, and and where there is divorce, as the church, of course, we we rush into that place with love and care and compassion. But Jesus says, yes, the law says this, but as the guy who wrote that law, here's really what I'm getting at. Here's really what the plan was. And so as as Jesus is going through the Sermon on the Mount, he's doing that on multiple levels. The law says this, but what I'm really, the, the perfected version of that is this. And so as Jesus says, you know, love your neighbor, he says this is the the perfected version of it. There are going to be no enemies in heaven. There's going to be no hatred in heaven. So you as followers of Jesus, now that the kingdom of heaven has started on earth, you start living out the ethic of heaven now. You don't wait till heaven, till everything's perfect. You start living out the ways of the kingdom now. And so you start loving your enemies now. You start putting away the sword now. You start living out the peace of God now. And Jesus says there's something about this that makes you children of your Father in heaven, right? I tell you, love your enemies so that you can be children of your Father in heaven. And there is something about that that makes us like God. Like when my kids are born, uh, people say to us all the time, they go, oh, Kaylee, Kaylee, Chris, Kaylee looks exactly like you. It's like, yeah, she does, because she's my kid, right? It's not, it's not rocket science. It's just that she's my kid. But sometimes people seem very amazed at how much uh, our, our kids can look like us. And so like, she looks just like you. It's like, right, because that's my DNA, guys. Like, it's, that's, that's all it is. It's because she's mine. It's because that she is just the product of my marriage to my wife, and she is the one who belongs to me. And because, as God did the creating through us, she is part of us, she looks like me. There is something about her that looks like me. Matt looks a little like both of us. And so that's not, again, not anything fancy. There's no sorcery involved. That's just biology. That's just science. And Jesus says there's something when we love our enemies that makes us look like our Father in heaven. There's something in loving our enemies that makes us like him. Whereas the world hates enemies, kills enemies, harms enemies. We're driven by this love as followers of Jesus. And Scripture says love does no harm. And so Anabaptists in particular, Mennonites, have always... Uh, taken that very, very seriously. And, and the, the classic pacifism uh, picture has been you don't engage in violence. But it's actually further than that. It's that we don't want to engage in things that harm other people because love does no harm. And we are called as followers of Jesus primarily to love. So we look like God when we love our enemies. Jesus says God sends his son on the sinner and the saint at the same time. He'll send the rain on both the sinner and the saint. God shows love and kindness, even to the ones who don't know him. They, they are receiving blessings from his hand. The sun that we need to eat, the rain that we need to grow our crops, God sends that on people who know him and love him, and he sends it on people who don't know him at all. They still get some of the blessing of God. God loves even his enemies. Paul would say this in Romans 5, verse 10, For if, while we were God's enemies, when we were far from him... If while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? That when we were enemies of God, he loved us and came to us anyway. It would say elsewhere in Romans that God demonstrates his own great love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That even when we were enemies of God, God so loved the world. That he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God shows love and kindness to his enemies. When we were God's enemies in our sin, he loved us and reached out to us with the gospel all the same. And so when we love our enemies, we are acting like our father in heaven. We look like him. Jesus would say back to our text, verse 46 and 47, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? are not even the tax collectors doing that. The sinners, these tax collectors were viewed as traitors who had turned against the Jewish people and partnered with the Roman oppressors. The tax collectors love those who love them. If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. So Jesus says, no extra credit for loving the ones in your circle no extra credit for faithfulness to your group if you greet only your own people like like everybody does that even the pagans do that even the idol worshippers who worship other gods will be kind to people in their circle they will love their family if uh, we have people in our family who are you know hardcore atheists and they still love their kids And they still love their spouse. So loving those who love you is not a mark of maturity. You can't be mature without it. But Jesus says we're going even further than that. No reward, no extra credit for loving those in your circle. What impresses God is when we go beyond that and love those who even are our enemies, even that person who drives me crazy, even that person that you can't stand, even that person that you've had a falling out with. When we love that person and show kindness to that person, we are like our Father in heaven in that moment. If we greet only our own people, even the simplicity of when we come to church, like are you are you going out of your way to, to find a stranger? Are you going out of your way to welcome someone you don't know? Or are you greeting only your own people, your own friends? Are you staying in your own little group? Because I'll tell you, we were on sabbatical earlier this year, and we went to a number of different churches just to see what God was doing in different places, and it was awesome. It was so good just to, to be in different worship settings and to sit under different preachers and to, to just engage in different conversations communities of faith, but I will tell you this, of the, you know, seven, eight different churches we visited in that time, we were warmly welcomed almost nowhere as strangers walking into a place. And the door, the greeters and the ushers were always great. They were always wonderful. But almost every time we would kind of come in, not knowing a soul, we'd come in and we'd find a seat and no one would talk to us beyond that. And listen, that's on all of us, right? Like that's, we can't just let the ushers and greeters do all the work. Like every single one of us, our job is to look around and say, is there anyone here I don't know? And can I go introduce myself? Can I go and welcome someone to the church? Like even the pagans greet their own people, their own family, their own friends. What are you doing more than that? What are you doing more than others. So if, if love is kind of one of our basic default human emotions, what does it mean then for us to be holy? Like if, if even a, an atheist can love their kids or love their family or love their friends, we have to be holy? We have to even look different than that. We have to go beyond even that. And what's going to mark us is that we extend that love to everybody. So the outward piece, where we are looking outward beyond ourselves, It will certainly start with our inner circle. Like, love your family, of course. Love your children. uh, Love your friends. And and it will expand beyond that uh, to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We love one another in Jesus. It will expand beyond that to our neighbors around us, whether those neighbors are people we work with or our literal neighbors in our neighborhood or people we go to school with. We love them. And it expands even beyond that to our enemies. So love your inner circle. Love your enemies. And, of course, implied everybody in between. It's a, we serve a God who is love, guys. We can't get away from it. He is love. He's created us in that love, and we as followers of Jesus are to walk in that love. And so it, it spreads outward. Outward's going to mean being connected in a community, in a, in a faith community, in a family of faith. First Corinthians 12, 12 to 14 says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And Paul would unpack the metaphor further uh, throughout 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But what it means is I can't actually walk with Jesus entirely by myself. I just can't do it. I can sit with my Bible, Jesus and I alone, uh, through prayer and my study, can learn a tremendous amount. But I can't learn everything I need to know about Jesus by myself. I need teachers in my life. I need other believers to wrestle through the scriptures with me. I need people to encourage me. I need people to, uh, to challenge me and hold me accountable. Like, we need one another. We need one another's spiritual gifts. And, and whatever gifts you have that you bring to the table, you don't have all the rest of the gifts, so you need other people to bring those gifts to the table. And one of the, the things we learned during the pandemic was in the times where we had to be separate and we weren't able to gather together is that, man, we paid a price for that. That was not easy. And hopefully that made us appreciate the gathering that we have and the times that we can connect. But, um, but I know the, the struggle of it And what churches are struggling with and denominations are struggling with coming out of it is um, you know, we learned that, okay, well, you can, you can get great teaching online. You don't have to show up in a building on a Sunday morning. And right now, probably literally every church on earth you could listen to if you wanted to. And there is teaching out there, and it's all great. Uh, I shouldn't say it's all great, but a lot of it is great. And, and you can listen to whatever you want. And you can listen to whatever worship you want. And, and so there's this world that opened up uh, of access to information. And, and a lot of that, I think, is is great. And, and I can listen to different teachers, and I can get different perspective and I can experience different worship and that can be cool but what that can't do what I can never do with me and YouTube alone is worship in community with brothers and sisters in Christ who are walking with me who are discerning what is the spirit saying to us right here right now and that is important because I listen to lots of teaching, lots of podcasts, and, and the teaching itself is wonderful, but I don't know who that teacher is. He's not speaking into my life. He's not encouraging me in my faith journey, and I'm not a part of that church family where I have people to rally around me when I'm going through a hard time or, or call me out if I'm wandering off track or, or love me through a crisis. Like We need that community, this body part uh, metaphor that Paul uses where every single one of us is connected to a family. And that I can't do at home on the internet by myself. I just, I can't. I can get the teaching part, and that can be good, but I don't have the community. And we learned during COVID, man, when we lose that community, we really lose something in our walk with Jesus. We need one another. And so part of the outward piece is I need to be connected in some sort of faith community. I need to be connected with other believers who I know who can look me in the eye and I can look them in the eye. We can do some of that virtually online with Zoom and things, but, um, but we need to be in that relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. We can't do it by ourselves. We can't even do it with all the best teaching in the world at our fingertips. We need that community piece. Outward's gonna mean community. Outward's also gonna mean justice. Isaiah 1, verse 17 says this, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow, and many, many other passages in scripture that talk about this idea, that part of what love does is say, well, if I have these blessings in my life and you don't have these blessings in your life, what can I do to help meet you with those blessings? What can I do to fight for you in those blessings? What can I do for the sake of justice, for the sake of those who are on the margins, for the sake of those who are outcast, for the sake of those who lack anything? What do we do for them? And so if we're not doing anything, then it's hard to say with a straight face that we love them. Right? Because love says, I'm going to do this for you. Whatever I have, I want you to have. And if I have something that you don't have, what can I do to help get you there? And so outward will always have a call towards justice in there. Love seeks what's best for other people. Outward is going to mean sharing the gospel. Colossians 1.6 says, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing amongst you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. When Jesus came to the earth, he said, this thing is going worldwide. The gospel is going to the ends of the earth, and we are the ones who carry it. And if we're not literally going on the mission field, then not everyone's called to literally go out and cross cultures. Whatever avenue, whatever influence, whatever place God has you right now that is where the gospel gets shared and it doesn't need to be in a bullying way it doesn't need to be in people's face i I think a lot of the way the gospel gets shared is just kind of whatever our personality is and some people are very bold and and happy to confront and some people are more gentle and and want to do it with a gentler touch and i don't think there's a right or wrong way to do it as long as your life is somehow pointing to jesus in a way that other people notice And honestly, it can be as simple as just talking about your weekend, right? Because tomorrow we're all going to go to work, and and that's a pretty typical small talk conversation about what you do on your weekend. And um, it can be just as simple as, oh, I went to church, and I heard the best sermon I ever heard. And, but I mean, the things that are important in our life we talk about right? The things that are important we talk about. And so whether it's something cool you read in the Bible that day, or whether it's an interesting time you had in worship on a Sunday morning, or, or whether it's just something God's teaching you in your life, like those things can come out in conversation in a way that's not like you're thumping your Bible and getting in people's faces, but are making it known that you walk with Jesus And is getting that out there. And at times this gospel does need to be proclaimed very clearly. But in terms of influencing people, it can be just as simple as sharing the important things of your life. Just as you share everything else important in your life with the people around you. You talk about your spouse. You talk about your friends. You talk about your kids. You talk about stuff you did on the weekend. Just make sure Jesus is part of that conversation. Because we talk about the things that are important So in the outward piece, uh, there's community, there's justice, there is sharing the gospel. It's going to look, here's just a few examples, the types of things that the outward piece will be looking at. It's going to look like expressing love. Uh, either verbally or practically. It's going to look like living generously, where we understand my money is not my own. It belongs to the Lord, and then he has called me to sow it. It's going to look at like reconciling relationships where they're broken, helping others to reconcile relationships as well. It's going to look like active peacemaking, not just um, in the, the literal sense of war, but just where can I sow peace wherever I'm at? If I'm in a tense situation at work, where can I be a force for God's peace, that sort of thing? It's going to look like living sacrificially, understanding that Jesus' life took him ultimately to the cross. He has called us to follow in his footsteps. And so how can I live sacrificially for other people, not making it about myself, where can I be serving others? And that can, of course, be in a church family. That can be in your community. That can be in your workplace. Whatever that looks like. It's going to mean walking in a spiritual community. It's going to look like seeking justice. It's going to look like sharing Jesus. It may look like other things as well. But when we're talking about the outward peace, this is the type of thing that we are talking about. Jesus wraps up his message with the, the wonderfully unintimidating phrase, Be perfect, therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect, verse 48. Come on up, worship team. We're just about done. But when we talk about the spiritual journey, when we talk about upward, inward, outward, when we talk about, uh, you know, what it means to follow after Jesus, this is actually a, a decent kind of summary statement because I know Jesus is perfect and I know his way is perfect. I know his word is perfect. I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm far from perfect. And uh, no, Chris, you're wrong. No, no, seriously, guys, I'm not. I'm not perfect. And yet, this journey we are on is how do I more and more lean into his perfection? How do I more and more live out? his perfection that he calls us to? How do I more and more walk in the perfection of scripture that scripture calls me to? Understanding that it's a lifelong journey, understanding that I don't think we ever arrive until we get to heaven. But while I'm here on earth, while I am in this journey of transformation, while I am walking after Jesus, how do I more and more lean into and live into the perfection that he's called me to? And how do we support one another in that? How do we encourage one another in that? How do we help one another along the way as a church family? Our God in heaven is undeniably an outward-looking and, and he doesn't ignore himself and he is glorifying himself and he is calling people to himself. He's not laying down any of his sovereignty or any of his glory in anything that he does. And yet God saw us in our sin and he saw us in our struggle and he was not pleased to leave us there. God saw us in our sinfulness and our brokenness and outwardly said, I am sending my son to solve this problem. I am sending my son ultimately to go to the cross God didn't just stay in himself. And he could have done that as God. He can do whatever he wanted. But as he created us and as we turned away and as we struggled, God was pleased to look upon us and say, I so love this world that I am sending my only son to come and save this world. Our God is an outward-focused God. He is not all about himself. He glorifies himself and yet loves us. And when scripture says God is love, that's what it's getting at, that love is always outward focus. And so God loved us enough to send Jesus to us. If we are gonna be followers of Jesus, then that's gonna call us to do the same, to live outwardly, to live generously, to live sacrificially just as he did. So as we reflect on upward, inward, and outward and helping people take their next steps with Jesus... Um, this is the question that we have just started asking. Again, we're, we're called to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect today, but what's your next step towards perfection? What's your next step in your spiritual journey with Jesus? Today, we're focusing specifically on that outward piece. So here's just a few suggestions. There are things beyond this list, but here's just a few things to think about in terms of what's your next step? And you don't have to do all of them, but what's your next step? Maybe it's taking a step to reconcile a relationship, something that's been awkward, something that's been broken. Maybe it's showing kindness to an enemy, and then however we're defining enemy, maybe there's just a practical way to show some love to that person who hurt you or or that person that's wronged you or that person who's angry with you or who you're angry with. Maybe it's showing practical help to someone in need. Maybe it's just coming alongside someone with just a very practical show of love and support. Maybe it's finding a place to sow your money and living generously in that way. Maybe it's serving somebody with a, a spiritual gift, with a practical gift, with some help. Maybe it's helping someone less fortunate. Maybe it's advocating for someone less privileged than you are. Maybe it's reengaging with your spiritual community. Maybe it's talking about Jesus with someone this week. Again, I think the list could go on and on and on. But there's just a few ideas just to get you thinking. So we will ask you this question as we've been closing off our services which is simply, what is your next step? What's your next step in this area? Maybe it's something on that list. Maybe it's something beyond that list. But for a moment, I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment. Uh, We believe that God speaks through his word. We believe that God speaks through his spirit. His spirit will never contradict his word, but we're trying to give room where we can hear from the spirit, even as we sit in the teaching of the word. So close your eyes with me, just so it can be a, a private moment for everybody. And we're just asking the question, Lord, what is my next step in this area? What is something I can do perhaps even today or perhaps even this week to take a step into obedience to you? So Holy Spirit, we're just going to ask you in this moment, just clear our mind, Lord. Just silence the clutter, silence the the swirl of thoughts, silence the distractions in Jesus' name. Lord, just, just make this a holy moment as we set aside this moment for you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, for every person here, just bring to mind now a next step that you are calling them to. As we reflect on what it is that you have brought to mind now. I pray, Lord, that uh, you will just be with us. Give us the courage and the strength to take that step in obedience to you. Be with us as we do it, Lord. And I pray, Father, your blessing would be with us as we take these steps of obedience to you outwardly. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet with me, please, as we get ready to close? Um, We were a couple minutes late. We lost power right before the service started, which threw off all of our computers and sound and stuff. So uh, we'll wrap up in just a few minutes. But we always think it's important to end with worship. And so as we worship, uh, this is also a great outward thing to do, right? Where we outwardly sing our songs and express our thanks. So join with us in worship, and then we'll wrap up with prayer.